It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Matt Lesser, founder and CEO of Uniquely Normal. Uniquely Normal exists to equip and train leaders to build flourishing team members and organizations through empathy, empowerment, and excellence. And Matt has had the honor of training leaders, teams, and boards in over 40 countries over the past 20 years. Prior to launching Uniquely Normal, Matt served in C-suite roles in private equity, banking, and industrial supply and distribution, and he spent the first 15 years of his career leading his family's business in the petroleum industry. Matt earned his undergraduate degree in business from Indiana University and an MBA from Taylor University. He's a best-selling author in his first book, Unsatisfied When Less Is More, and his second book will be released in late 2023. Matt's greatest treasures are his faith, family, and friends, and he resides in Northeast Indiana with his family. Matt Lesser, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much, Brand. I've been looking forward to our conversation today. Um, I have as well, and great to connect with you. Now, are you in the part of the country this week that's still getting snow and cold, or is it warming up where you are today? <laughs> so uh, we had some snow activity over the weekend, but today it's wow. a sunny day. It's windy, but it's chilly still. Always this time of year, can't decide whether it's spring or winter, but uh, so <laughs> hopefully <true>. it'll come <laughs> soon. <laughs> yes, amen to that. <laughs> Well, listen, what we always like to try to start uh, our podcast with is the early years and talking a little bit about the CEOs, you know, where they grew up. Tell us a little bit about that, what part of the country and what your early family life was like. No, glad to. Um, so I grew up in a little uh, lake community, actually, in northeast Indiana, uh, population, mm. I think, of 700. Uh, no wow. stoplight. Small there town. was a four, four-way stop. A small town. Yes. <laughs> nice. Very small. Um, but you know, we, like I said, I grew up on a, on a lake and so my childhood was a lot of time on the water and, nice. um, so I loved that. And, uh, so that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, we moved here originally. So I moved here, I think I was four when we moved here. I have very little, very little memory before that. Um, but we moved here actually because my dad bought into a, a business. Um, he bought into huh. a, a wholesale oil distribution business. Um, that focused primarily on like gasoline, diesel fuel, those kinds of those right. kinds of oils, uh, if you will. Right. Right. So that's what brought us here. And um, so then, uh, literally the second year we were here, he bought the his partner completely out. So he bought 
half the first year and the second half the second year was just a little unexpected but that's what happened yeah and uh, right. so my my childhood um was a lot of you know when you have a family business uh you yeah. know unless you're extremely intentional about it um it permeates everything and so everybody's you know, involved yeah exactly yeah, yeah everybody's right. involved um, every dinner holiday, yeah, we might talk a little bit about other things and stuff, if you will, but it all, it, it almost <laughs> always gravitates towards business and yeah, uh, right. that's just the way it is. So was um, mom, was mom involved in the business as well? You know, she was, uh, she was not, uh, she was, let me put it this way. She was off and on, uh, but I'm the oldest of three boys. And so, okay. um, so she was, uh, primarily focused on us and just so grateful that, um, that we were able to, uh, to have mom available to us, uh, full-time pr primarily. And, uh, yeah. my dad worked, you know, he worked a ton. And so he wasn't really uh, around all that much, but, uh, mom was, mom was almost always here. So that was really nice. What were some of the early influencing moments that you can remember from mom or dad or, or others during those early years? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, my, um, so my mom and my, and her parents, so my maternal grandparents, uh, they're the ones that had a tremendous um, impact on my upbringing. Um, mm. I've often said that my, um, my a lot of who I am today is a direct result of their influence in my life, um, wow. from you know my belief system, from my values. Now, um, and so that's what uh, they're they just um, they just took the time to uh, to talk with me, to invest in me. Um, some of my fondest memories are, are with those three. And so, wow, um, nice. and I could, you know, I could take the entire time we have here just talking about that yeah. alone, but they were, they're just, they're amazing people. And, uh, what were some I, of the I, things they, what were some of the things they poured into you? What do you remember from those days? Um, really so my, my grandfather was a, uh, he was a perpetual entrepreneur. So he, he just loved, yeah. he loved business. And so he's the one who really, uh, poured into me about, uh, business practices, financial practices. Mm. Um, you know, he's the one who taught me the importance of saving, of living below your means of, of, um, I'll never forget. I was probably I know, 17, 18 and, uh, I was down in Florida. They spent six months of the year in Indiana and six months in Florida. And I'll let you decide which six months those were. They were the six months that we all were. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, but I was, uh, but every winter, uh, my mom would literally take me and my brothers out of school for um, for two weeks on either side of spring break. So we'd always have three weeks with them in Florida. And um, and so was, I was by probably my junior year, I, I guess. And I was down there and, you know, when one morning I got up early and my grandpa, uh, my grandpa was he was always an early riser and he was working on his budget for the year. And I, you know, so right. I started asking questions and he literally put that aside and he taught me how to make a budget. And nobody had done that wow. before and you know yeah. and, and that had so it was just those kinds of things brand that's just one concrete example i could give you 50 of them but that was just one thing that stuck out with me with him that's so, great i love yeah. it were you a good student in school man i was um school came easy to me and uh yeah. and so it was um it which actually gave me uh it gave me false confidence when i went into business for mm. myself um because academics did come so easy i, I love learning love studying and so um, yeah, so that it, it translated into, it, it was a, uh, it translated into some hard times starting out in, in the professional world. Okay. Well, I want to hit on that when we get a little later in the podcast. That sounds okay. like an interesting, uh, transition there. What about other activities? Are you involved in sports, music, theater? Um, so I was involved in, uh, primarily sports, did some, uh, did some theater in, uh, in high school. 
uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that was middle school, middle school, uh, high school. I focused on soccer and basketball and, uh, golf actually. So those were my three sports in, uh, in high school. And now I just, uh, do whatever I can to stay in shape. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> At least once a day, right? You know, exactly. you get out there and yeah. do something moving around, <laughs> Yeah. you know, with your, with your dad, an entrepreneur buying a business and, and obviously your maternal grandfather as well. What, what kind of any entrepreneurial things did you do when you were young? Did you have the, uh, you know, the, uh, ubiquitous paper route or, you know, selling Christmas cards, what, what kinds of things were you involved with? Um, so I had, um, for my, for my own self, every summer I had, um, I had a lawn mowing, I guess call it business, but I went around sure. to neighbors and, and different businesses, uh, both in the town I live in the, t in the town where the business is or was, um, it was about a half an hour away. And, uh, so I would spend my summers mowing people's lawns, um, to make some extra money. Um, so I did right. that. Uh, but as I got older, uh, my summers were primarily dedicated to working in the business, which meant I got all the grunt jobs. So sweeping the warehouse floor, um, <laughs> right. working on leaks in the roof. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was, uh, that was my childhood primarily. Did you get a little more than room and board for that and get some spending money in the pocket as well? Um, I did, uh, never paid minimum wage, but we won't say anything about child labor <laughs> so, for family businesses. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard road to hoe. It is yeah, very, always paying cash. So there's no proof. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I love it. Now, um, you know, I knew you grew up, uh, or, or became a Christian at some point. Would God play a role in the early part of your life? Um, yes. Core role. Um, so I, yeah. uh, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was four and wow. um, but i i That's really young. <laughs> it was young um and my mom again my mom and, and her parents played a crucial role in that um but brand I, I didn't really i would say that i accepted my faith as my own until yeah. i was 15. and um right. going right. into my freshman year of high school i uh, i came down with a very rare blood disease and i spent the better oh, part wow. of a year in the hospital um, missed my freshman. I would, had to be, um, basically homeschooled my freshman year because I wasn't allowed to, oh, wow. uh, leave. I wasn't allowed to do anything. Um, I, it was a, it was one of those that, uh, I, my body attacked itself and I had very little Gosh. platelets. And so, um, so I had oh. weekly, uh, I had weekly treatments and it was, uh, about, and those treatments made me very ill. And so, um, it was about halfway through that experience. It lasted almost a year on the nose. It was really odd. Mm. Um, about halfway through. Um, it was, I was in a hospital and, uh, it was about 2 AM. I was alone. My parents had actually gone home that night to sleep in their bed and, uh, was get, crawling back in the bed from, you know, I'll give you the gory details, but being sick. And yeah. I had this, I had this thought and I know it was of God and it was, it was, it went something like this, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm angry. Cause I was, I was ticked off. I mean, I had worked my butt yeah. off brand. I mean, I was, I was an overweight out of shape kid most of my childhood. Mm. Um, but mm. I started playing soccer in seventh grade. And I was actually pretty good at it. And so that motivated me to get in shape, to work on my skills. And going into my freshman year, um, I was good enough that I was probably going to be the starting goalie on the varsity. And, wow. um, and so now here I was, I couldn't even play. And so I couldn't go to school. I couldn't be with my friends. I couldn't do anything. And I was just ticked off. And quite frankly, yeah. I was ticked at God. And uh, so as I'm crawling back into bed, um, this thought hits me. It's like, here I am. I am, I'm sick. I can't do anything about it. And I'm ticked off at the one person that can actually do something about it. <laughs> and, um, and a 15 year old, and I'm having this thought and, and, and literally it said, okay, God, 
you know what? I, I'm I'm done being angry because you're the great healer. So you can choose to heal me if you want to. And if not, I accept it. And um, and yeah. so I, I rededicated my life to him that night. But it was about you know, like wow. so 2 a.m. And um, got a great night's sleep. And um, but from then forward, you know, people ask me, well, were you healed? I wasn't healed physically, but I was healed. Mm. I was healed spiritually, emotionally yeah. and all kinds of other ways. So I, I really view that as my spiritual birth date, if you will. Right. Right. Cool. Super cool. Yeah. I had kind of a similar experience, you know, I was going to the church uh, when I, you know, grew up in you know, Sunday school and so forth, but it was 15 years old at a family camp when I accepted the wow. Lord. And, and, you know, there's something about, I think, kind of being that age too, where you have yeah. to kind of decide, you know, are you going to run with the pack, you yep. know, and, and be like everyone else or, or really kind of find a way to distinguish yourself. And, you know, obviously in the situation you were in, I think that's just magic that you were able to turn to him. And did, did you get through the blood disorder over time? Is that something that you were able to heal and cure or is it still something you deal with? Um, so it, uh, about, about six months after that night. So like I said, almost about a year to the nose, uh, on the nose, I, um, I had a treatment and rather than my platelet count going down, it maintained and it actually started to go wow. up. And wow. so, um, to this day, I still have, I still have to have annual blood tests. Um, yeah. my platelet count is not normal. So it's consistently 10 to 30% below the bottom of what's considered normal. Um, right. but it's not at a level that I have to have treatment. Um, but interestingly enough, um, last year I was diagnosed with a very rare immunodeficiency disorder or mm. uh, disorder, whatever we call it that requires weekly treatments again, weekly infusions, but it's, um, so it is related to that. Um, but it's a completely different animal. So, yeah, yeah. Well, prayers are for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I got that. So Indiana University went to Fort Wayne. Tell us a little bit about that decision. Was it kind of a foregone conclusion? You're, you're the oldest of all the boys there. Yeah. Uh, did, did mom and dad go to college and was that expected of you or a decision you made on your own? No, actually, um, they, uh, they met at Taylor University. So okay, um, got it. my dad, yeah. my dad was studying ministry and my mom was studying um, elementary ed. And so they met there and then um, they got married after college. And then uh, my dad went to grad school at uh, Trinity Theological um, and then decided uh, uh, he was almost finished and decided that he wanted to be in business instead. So that's what he did. Um, so, yes, I mean, it was one of those things, Brant, that growing up, I, I really never uh, knew there was any option other than going to college. Right, um, right, it was right. it was expected from the time I was little. Um, and so uh, I I. I always had my eyes set on Taylor as well. And uh, when it came time to go, um, just we were in a position uh, financially and as a, as a family where it just didn't make much sense. And, um, and there's other, other factors involved as well. And so I decided to go to uh, Indiana, um, but chose to go to the Fort Wayne campus um, for many reasons. Uh, but, you know, one of them was financial. Um, but, uh, and I, I, it's a decision that honestly, I, um, I'm glad I made, you know, I look back on my, yeah. I feel like I got a great education. Some of my professors were practitioners as well. I really appreciate to this day, their wisdom they shared. So it was, uh, I, I had a great experience. Well, then you made it to Taylor later, right? You went there for I your did. MBA. Yeah. <laughs> Finally so you got, got a double go. dip. Yeah. So, yeah. In fact, when it came time awesome. that I was going to get my MBA, um, I explored many different programs. Um, and, uh, but Taylor had a program where it was a hybrid model of in-person and online 
and it was cohort based and it had an international oh, nice. component to it that I wanted. So check kind of checked all the boxes and yes, I did want to go to Taylor anyway. So it helped check that box. Perfect. I love it. What was the first job you took out of Indiana? Um, so I actually worked in a, through college, I worked in a quick loop. Um, so okay. I, uh, that's where I, um, I cut my teeth and it kept me motivated to finish college because I did not want to work my career in a quick loop. Um, and so then after college, I, um, I explored uh, a couple of different opportunities actually with my dad. We can, we can, we thought about launching a couple of different businesses. Mm. Uh, they, they didn't pan out. And so then, um, about a year, about, uh, about six months after I graduated, I came into the family business full-time. Um, and, uh, I had worked off and on through college as well. Um, primarily the summers. So I'd work in a quick loop during school and I'd work in the family business uh, during the summer. And, right. um, so I came into it and honestly, that's not what I had planned to do. Um, I planned to go to grad school and, uh, kind of figure out a different plan. And, uh, and that's where, um, uh, after about a year after that then is when, uh, everything got really interesting. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear about that. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, so my, uh, uh, my dad and I just didn't, uh, didn't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot. And, um, and so a year, um, about two years after I came into the business, I, I just knew it wasn't working. So at that point I was newly married, married my elementary school uh, sweetheart. Actually, we met wow. I was in third grade. She was in fourth grade. Um, and so I went into my dad then, so, so I graduated college in 95 and in mid 97, I went into my dad's office. My dad, uh, played football, big guy. And I just said, dad, I said, this isn't working. One of us needs to go. And I'm guessing it's not going to be you because you own the stock. <laughs> right. um, so I said, I'm leaving and I'm going to go to grad school. And, uh, he said, sit down. And so I sat down and mm -hmm. he said, actually, I'm leaving. And he meant it. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, wow. Yeah, he, uh, and he divorced my mom. They've been married for 29 years and oh, he wow. moved 1500 miles away and he literally signed the business over to me on the way out the door. That should have wow. been a red flag. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't yeah. because as I mentioned yeah. earlier, um, my success in academics had given me this false confidence that, well, if school went easy, it was easy for me. After yeah, all, I, I studied business yeah. in school. Right, um, right. I thought everything else should too. And, um, and Brand, it was just, it was one thing after another mm. that I began to uncover and discover. And uh, three months after taking over the business, uh, I was face, I was facing certain failure. And oh um, wow. I began to not sleep. Uh, I didn't know any of this terminology then, but I began to not sleep. I had uh, very bad anxiety that turned into panic attacks, um, mm. multiple per day and literally to the point that I would vomit. Um, and that led to then about three or four months after that, not being able to get out of bed or not wanting to get oh out of bed. Gosh. And so, de um, depression, depression yes. set in, I guess, right on top of it. Exactly. Wow. Top. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so I was able to, I guess, kind of gut it through the holidays and then, um, in, uh, in late January, early February of this would have been 98 now, um, I, the way I describe it, Brant, is I was I, I, I felt like it was in this dark hole with um, no way out, super slick sides, mm. no light, no way out, uh, no hope. And I felt I felt helpless and hopeless. And mm. I came to the decision um, that it was time to end my life. And, wow. Uh, wow. and so that's the point I came to. And I um, and so it would have been early February. 
Uh, I actually slept really well that night. I hadn't slept in months at that point. Uh, and I'm not exaggerating. I just didn't sleep. And um, I slept and I woke up the next day and I showered. I actually went to my office. I mean, for probably two, two and a half months, three months, um, I literally would get up and I would, if I went anywhere, I would just go sit in a park in my truck all day um, because mm. I couldn't, I couldn't go to the office. I just couldn't face life. Mm. And, um, and so I woke up that day and I showered and I went into the office actually, which people were kind of shocked to see me. Um, I pulled out three pieces of paper. I was going to write three letters, one to my wife, one to my mom, who I had hired to work for me and one to my little brother. Uh, my middle brother mm. went with my dad, uh, when he moved to Florida. Um, and so I, um, uh, not one, not one word ever got written. I, uh, mm. it was just, from that point forward is one miracle after another. I, uh, so I, before I started to write, I had this fleeting thought that my, I knew my parents had taken out a life insurance policy on me when I was little, but I knew nothing about it. Rather than calling the agent, who was a dear friend of my mom's, uh, I drove three blocks to his office. To this day, I mm. don't know why I did that other than God. Um, I walked into his office. He happened to be in. We spent 15 minutes together, if that. I left, came back to my office. By the time I got back to the office, my mom was waiting for me at the door and said, hey, let's go have tea, which was not unusual. Mm. We would do that. And she said, I'll drive. And that's what I knew. I should have known something was up because uh, I always drove. Um, and so we went, she took me then to, um, this local businessman, very successful, um, who went through something very similar a decade prior, come to find mm. out as soon as I left my life insurance agent's office, he picked up the phone and he called my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Your son just showed up and that was pretty unusual. I'm yeah. sure that, that the conversation went. Yeah, it was. It well, actually what he said is he says, I just saw your son. He says, I know things are a mess. I know you guys are trying to get through, yeah. you know, all this. He says, I just saw your son. And if you don't do something today, he will not be here tomorrow. Mm. And so wow. she hung up the phone wow. and she called the only other person she could think of that went through this. And that was the person she took me to see. So, um, mm. so we spent six hours with him, you know, at the end of that time that we, he never said, I'll fix it. I'll take care of it. You don't have to worry. All he said was, I will walk with you through this. And that is mm. exactly what he did. Wow. So, Fabulous. Right. And he was yeah. an older man, I presume, yep. or someone that had kind of gone through the backside. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. Terrific. Well, yep. then what happened with the business? Did you end up selling it or transition that on? And how did you get into your next step? Yeah. So um, from that point forward, uh, we we had to transition it. There was not um, he, he he brought it to I was taken out for a while. I had to get medicated. I had to get help. And yeah. uh, so I was I was sidelined for, um, I think it was six to nine months. I can't remember exactly. But um, so while I was gone, he brought in a team of people to basically see, you know, what do we have? Well, it just so happened my mom was untouched because everything was transferred to me. So one of the biggest issues were we had two big issues. One was we had polluted properties because we were in the oil business. Um, and then those polluting properties were polluting neighboring properties. So the EPA doesn't mm. like that too much. Uh, the big one was, is that my, um, withholding tax wasn't paid for a year. Uh, mm. that will get you in really deep water with the IRS. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I don't so, like that at all. <laughs> no, not at all. So, um, so what happened is, but what they discovered is, is that we had enough other assets to start over. So this, this, uh, this businessman, um, and what I should call him friend, a friend, um, he gave us a loan to pay off the IRS and we, mm. we, we started a new business. And, um, and it, from the, from the first month forward, it was profitable. 
which was interesting yeah. because the prior business struggled for years to make money. And, yeah. uh, and from there, it just took off. It grew. There was three of us when it started over. There was me, my mom, and one other gentleman that worked for both my dad and me combined for 35 years. Mm. And um, by the time we, we finally did sell it uh, 10 years later, and by the time we sold it, it had grown um, immensely. I mean, we had 180 lives. We had multiple locations. Um, we had gotten into retail as in addition to wholesale, and it was just um, it was just an unbelievable experience. I was at the point where I really wanted to uh, try something else, and and the business had grown to a point where we were uh, we were no longer considered little, but we were not playing at the next level as our biggest competitors. And right. um, so to get to that next level would have required uh, substantial investment and substantial risk. And we just had too many lives to take that risk basically for my ego. And, um, and so, um, so we were, we, we believed in, uh, we had a very relational approach to everything we did, customers, suppliers, competitors even. And, uh, so I went to, we went to two of our, um, larger competitors and, uh, they both, uh, expressed interest. We wound up selling to one of them, uh, in 2007. And that's when I joined actually my friend that helped us restart, um, ah, so okay. I joined him in private equity. Wow. And, and was that ambassador enterprises? Was that the next yep. opportunity that came along or was it? it yeah. Fantastic. It sure is. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause you went into senior leadership there. I did. Yeah. So, um, when I joined, um, it was a, he, he was still in the process of, um, liquidating his, his major holding. Uh, he was in the steel business. And so, um, so the, for the first year or two, we didn't do a whole lot. We just kind of got ready to get ready. So we built a lot of processes. We built a lot of training constructs and uh, we, we built our processes for, uh, for M&A. A- after mm-hmm. the divestiture of the major holding, then um, shortly after that is, you know, you know what happened in 2008. So we didn't do a whole oh, yeah. lot. We sat on the, po- <laughs> right. we basically kept the powder dry. And uh, in 2010, then we um, really started to ramp up the uh, mergers and acquisitions um, engine. And um, yeah. so I was in the um, I basically I was in the in the COO role, co-COO with a good friend of mine. Um, so we ran the operations of Ambassador for several years. And uh, and then after that, um, I really enjoyed being in the field. I enjoyed, um, you know, meeting yeah. uh, people, working with leaders. And so. I spent uh, several years then uh, literally traveling the globe, um, looking for investment opportunities, meeting with leaders, mm. meeting with most of them were family owned businesses. Um, and then my final, uh, my final two and a half, three years with ambassador, then I was strictly in leadership development. Um, right. So, so that was kind of my progress through, uh, through ambassador. How is that transition for you? You know, coming from, you know, running a, a, an oil distribution company, obviously very specific industrial role to more of that leadership development uh, type of position. Was that, was that a tough change for you? The biggest, uh, the uh, biggest change was the first year in going yeah. from um, basically having a lot of autonomy um, and a lot of, uh, and going from something that I knew like the back of my hand uh, right. literally had grown up in it. So, um, to then having to learn something completely new, um, yeah. and going to something a whole lot more structured. Uh, and so that was, that was the biggest, that was the biggest hurdle for me to get over, um, transitioning from operations then to, uh, investment and then into leadership development. Those were all those, those were more natural transitions because I was kind of doing that anyway. 
Um, so it was the, it was the first transition that was the hardest. Right. I can imagine. Now was Wildman or Wildman one of the investments, investments that Ambassador made? Is that how you transitioned to that role? Uh, no, actually, uh, it was not. I was on the board there. So I met the CEO owner of Wildman. That was a, that's a third generation company. Um, I met him at a, um, at an event that I was invited to, and I had heard his name for a while, wanted to meet him. We, we honestly, we became fast friends. We went out for coffee after this meeting. I was asking about his company, um, asking what he did. And he was sharing some, a couple things with me. I shared a couple things back and that led into a more of a coaching relationship. And then mm -hmm. I became part of his board. And, uh, and so it was from that board, um, position that I then joined the company at the executive level, uh, for just over a year, but it was, it was, um, it was never intended, I guess, to be a long-term position because my desire right. was to start my own company. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And when did you know you wanted to do that? Start your own company? Um, so I started toying with the idea, actually the last couple of years I was, um, with ambassador, I was, uh, it's one of those things, Brant, that, you know, I had, I had people telling me more than more and more that like, man, you should go out and do this on your own. And, uh, mm. and so I, I guess I, I, I joke and say, I guess I heard it one too many times and I actually believed it. So, um, <laughs> sometimes that happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, so after ambassador, I was going to do it then. Uh, instead I was, um, I was actually doing some consulting work, some leadership development and board development work for a local bank. And, uh, they found out that I have, was leaving ambassador, um, rather than just, you know, being a consultant to them, uh, they offered me a, uh, a role there. Um, it was one of those that my wife basically said, I really don't think you should do that. I think you should stay as a consultant. And I, uh, failed to listen to my wife. So big lesson mm -hmm. right there. <laughs> and I did it. And honestly, uh, by the end of the first week, I realized I'd made a mistake. Mm. So mm -hmm. I gutted through it for about 11 months. And then um, I uh, made the decision to move on. And you started Uniquely Normal right in the middle of the pandemic. That's I uh, did. a pretty brave uh, direction. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about that. Tell us more <laughs> about the company and what you do and, yeah. and you know, where, where, you're, where are you headed now? Yeah. So, um, after that, then I did, I, uh, I formed the, uh, the company and, uh, right in the middle of, uh, of COVID very difficult to get clients when you're, uh, you can't meet face to face. Um, but so what it is, I started writing my last uh, few years at ambassador. Um, I, I was meeting with leaders and I guess that most of them were uh, family businesses. And so, and I kept hearing the story that, you know, I didn't hear it once, twice, three times. I heard it a hundred times. And the story went something like this, Brant. It went, you know, I can't believe, usually they were, most of them were men. There were a handful of women, but most of them were men, mid fifties to mid sixties. And they would say, I can't believe that I sacrificed all this. And by this, they meant usually their marriage. Um, if they were still mm -hmm. married, uh, oftentimes they like live separate lives. Uh, their kids, you know, here I am. I'm finally at a point where this business has grown. I have time, I have money, I have this, I have this, and my kids don't want anything to do with me because I wasn't for the, mm -hmm. I wasn't there for them growing up. And yeah. and that conversation would end by saying, if I knew back then, if I knew back then what I know now, I would have done this completely differently because mm -hmm. I focused on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And and I heard that over and over and over again. And so what that did in me, and I just kept, uh, I just kept taking notes and, uh, of my conversations and, 
And so finally, and I was getting to a point at, uh, where I was being asked some of those same questions. My kids were getting older and I was gone a lot. And, uh, and so I began just keep, like I said, keeping track of my conversations that led to this idea of, okay, these are all by societal standards. They're at the top, right? They're thriving. They're making money. They have cars, they have houses, they can take whatever vacation they want, blah, 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 blah. So by the world's definition, they had arrived, but yet they're miserable. They were not satisfied. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it's like, okay, so if thriving isn't it, what is and I had a catalytic conversation with a good friend of mine, and he used the word flourishing. I don't even remember what context. Mm. Um, I love the word. And so I did a word study on it and fell in love with it. And so I said, that's it. Beyond thriving is flourishing. And mm-hmm. flour- whereas thriving, if you look up the definition, thriving is all about focusing in on me. You know, it's accumulation of wealth, power, possessions, whatever. Flourishing is a focusing on on giving back, on focusing outward, mm. focusing on legacy, being a part of something that's bigger than me. And, um, and so that was it. So I started writing, um, a book during the, during, uh, the pandemic and it turned into, uh, a book called unsatisfied when less is more, uh, it was released last October. And so, um, I couldn't necessarily get face to face with clients. So I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And then, and then at the same time, then I, I uh, worked with uh, my, I worked with uh, my friend at Wildman to help him build an executive team. Um, finished uh, when I left there, then I f- took six months to finish the book and then went through the editing process. And um, and then after the book came out, then is really when I really started to focus on client um, engagement, client acquisition brand with Uniquely mm. Normal. Yeah. Great. And how big the organization today? Are you still single shingle or have you been able to hire employees and uh, growing in that direction? Uh, growing, still uh, doing this, still flying solo. Um, yeah. Hopefully in the next, uh, I'd love to be able to hire somebody uh, within the next year, but uh, a lot depends on, you know, what happens with, with client activity. Um, my second book comes out later this year, so you never know what that might do. But, um, but yeah, still, uh, still gotten it solo. And consulting mostly with CEOs, family businesses, what's, you know, who's your target? Who's the benefiting the most from your services these days? Um, it's, it's mostly family businesses. And I think a lot of that mm-hmm. is because, uh, I, I, I grew up in one, I ran one and that's who I've primarily, even, even, even in private equity, it was a family office. Um, yeah. and so I understand that. And so, and I'd say the target is, um, I've worked with businesses as, as big as a hundred, 150 million in revenue and as little as, you know, not even a million. Um, yeah. and so, and everything in between. What do you think is kind of the common thread of successful family businesses? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I, it depends on how you define success. And so, um, mm. so I, I think that, I, from my perspective of success, success is that you're running a, a profitable business because if you're not profitable, you won't be a business much longer. So you, right. you have you have a profitable business that is intentional about integrating their values into their day to day practices. Um, mm. And in businesses that have and, and CEOs and businesses that have a uh, a core commitment to faith Thank to you, God. Bro. They're act- actually practicing those values. They aren't just aspired to. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm also a big fan that, you know, if, if organization, I believe that organizations are people and, and people are organizations. And so we need to treat people with the dignity, the respect that they 
Um, quite frankly, they deserve for just being human. And, yeah. and that means investing appropriately into team members. That means um, helping them become the best version possible of themselves. You know, everybody has dreams and everybody has um, aspirations in life and everybody has concerns as well. And so, you know, how do we invest in our people? Even if that means if I help, if I help this team member, you know, get a, uh, get a degree, for example, you know, there may or may not, I may or may not have a, a place for them after that. And I need to be okay with that and celebrate it anyway. Yeah. So that's just, a, yeah. a, I guess, a concrete example. So, yeah, no, I love that. Well, it's, it's uh, biblical, right? You know, treating yeah. others the way that we want to be treated. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple when you boil down to it. Yeah. Well, Matt, we're just about out of time, but we always ask one last question of all our CEO guests. And that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on their own corner office someday, or maybe like you wants to be an entrepreneur and set up their own business. Um, pursue life with intentionality. Don't live it mm -hmm. on accident. And if you have yeah. a desire to um, start your own thing or pursue the corner office, just take time to reflect on, on where do you sit? Ask yourself four basic questions. What am I passionate about? What am I really good at doing? What, how do I contribute value? And then a fourth one is what is my calling? What is it that mm. I just can't not do in life? And I believe that the intersection of those four is those is the beginning of living a flourishing life. Wow. Matt Lesser, founder and CEO of Uniquely Normal. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.